Um, we're going through the books of the Bible on a Wednesday night. Tonight we're in 2 Corinthians. We've gone through Genesis and then now in 2 Corinthians we took a few little weeks doing other things. But uh, we're back on track here. The book of 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's, it's one of probably four letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to this particular church. You can see the beginnings of this church was taking place in Acts chapter 18. Paul had been on his second missionary journey. He had, he had gone to Lystra, and there he's with Silas this time. He picks up Timothy. Timothy goes with him. They make their way into a town called Philippi, and there they stay several days. And Lydia and her girlfriends get saved by the river, and then the, the Philippian jailer gets saved, and the little lady that... Um, as a possessed by a damsel, she comes to know and get the freedom there. But that little body of believers are early on who come to know Christ in his second missionary journey. And then he goes on to the next, uh, the next town in uh, Thessalonica, and then Berea, and then Berea to Athens. And then he sends Paul and Silas back to uh, the Thessalonican believers, the Thessalonian believers, to help them. And he goes on to Athens. In Athens, he gets the opportunity to talk to people. He's frustrated because of the polytheism, all the many gods that they have. And he sits on Mars Hill with some of their philosophers and begins to challenge them about the one and true God, the Creator God. And uh, he tells them about that. Some believed, uh, others mocked. And some said, come back another day. This is really interesting what you just told us. But he left Athens and made his way into Corinth. And when he was in Corinth, the people there, uh, there was a synagogue, was his MO. He would go to the synagogue first and, and go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That was his ma ma uh, mantra. So he would go in there and he was, he was there, but he was low emotionally, spiritually, maybe even physically. Probably the wounds on his back and his neck from the beating that he took at Philippi were still, still very quick reminders of the pain, the difficulties he has gone through. I think in his mind he probably thought, I don't think I can take another beating. But he probably had on his heart too the fun and the jokes that were made by the people in Athens. Some mocked. These were, these were people who were educated people made fun of him. And he could probably go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any educated person. He was a very educated man, but they mocked. And I imagine that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me wasn't true then. I bet the words and the mocking, the making fun of, was probably a real challenge for sure. Did you guys hear something funny or is that just me? I thought I might just fall over the platform here in a minute here. Maybe my... My aortic vein or something, I don't know. We okay? I'll just keep going for a while, maybe grab a microphone in a minute. Nonetheless, uh, so he stumbles into Corinth and he goes to the synagogue as was his, was, his, uh, was his pattern, but he doesn't speak about Christ. He, he talks, he reasons with them a little bit, but then uh, Timothy comes into town and Silas from Thessalonica, they come, they see him in the synagogue. They knew where to find him on the Sabbath day. If he was in town, is where he was going to be. And when they came in the door and he knew they were with him, then he opened his mouth and he gave the gospel. When he did, uh, instead of a revival, it was a little bit of a riot. Some began to, some believe, but most people caused him trouble. He got angry, frustrated. He said, look, your blood be on your own hands. I'm going to take the gospel to somebody that can listen. But the guy who lived next door invited him to come and to be in his house. His name was Justice. And that night in his house, the Lord appeared to him. 
and said, Paul, be not afraid. But I want you to speak boldly here in Corinth. I have much people in this wicked city. And it was a wicked city. It would be, I think, compared to our modern day Las Vegas or French quarters of New Orleans. It was nasty. They had an Aphrodite temple there with over a a thousand uh, prostitutes hanging around the temple. It was a nasty place. Perversion was the norm. And it was a wicked place. But the darker the night, the brighter the light. And he said, I want you to be afraid. I want you to speak boldly here. And you can read all of this in Acts chapter 18 for yourself. He said, no one's going to hurt you here in this city. I've got much people here. And he stayed there for a year and six months and continued to preach the gospel. And many people came to Christ. But they came to Christ out of very wild backgrounds. And they came to Christ out of, out of problems with no doubt with addictions and immorality and lots of challenges. And they even wrote him letters later on about the, the, the classic chapter on marriage and, and, um, and in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is based out of the, now concerning the things that you wrote unto me, it's good that a man not touch a woman. They started writing him letters and say, what do you know, what about, what about physical in, in intimacy in marriage and you know, how's that work? And what about a person whose husband leaves them and abandons them? What do they do? What are their options? What if someone's married to an unsaved person and the saved person wants to leave, still stay with them? How are they supposed to act? All that is in that. What about we have children, we have girls, and should we let them get married in this wicked culture that we live in? And he tells them these, these things. He gives them advice and that. They write him letters and he responds back with the answers. But 1 Corinthians, as we learned in the last time we met together before the youth conference, it was a scathing rebuke. About every problem you could have in a local church, you'll find it in 1 Corinthians. There was division, there was cattiness, there was arguments going on, there was lawsuits, there was abuse of the spiritual gifts, abuse of the Lord's Supper, there was false doctrine about the resurrection. They had had false teachers come in and deceived them and lots of challenges going on. A, a lack of, a lack of, uh, of uh, generosity and giving in chapter 16. It was pretty rough. But somewhere in the process, and I think that 2 Corinthians, God chose to put it in our Bible because it's a, it's a book of Christian living, Christian giving, and Christian battling. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just kind of lay out a little bit. Here are some things you can, you, you dealt with your sin. They had a guy there that was, that was being immoral with, his, with his, um, his, his dad's wife, his stepmother. And uh, everyone knew it and no one was checking him. No one was, uh, no one was dealing with that. And so they had to deal with him. They dealt with him. They did a lot of the things that Paul uh, told them to do. And then in 2 Corinthians, he kind of, you can see a little more palatable approach that he gives. But he tells them, here's some things I want to do. Now, he definitely has some stinkers in the audience. When he reads these letters, there are some diatrophies out there who are trying to give him a hard time. They're saying, oh yeah, he's real bold in writing, but he, in person, he's weak. You know, they were saying, yeah, he's got a really strong pen. You know, it's like John, John R. Rice, you know. He didn't call the sword of the Lord for nothing. It was a sword. And he was looking for someone. He said, well, he's got a really thick pen, but in person he's a small little guy that, that uh, and he tells him in the letter, he says, when I come, you'll see more than just a pen. He said, you're going to see me in power. 
in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he told them, he said, if we, if we have to come there and bang some heads, we'll do it spiritually. And I'll do it in person. And you can see that there's somebody in there talking and he knows who they are. He has, he has received uh, uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. They're, er, they're from the early church. They're the one of the first Christians. They come and visit him and they refresh him with their visit. They tell him what's going on and he sends back uh, these letters and he's corresponding back with them most likely while he's in the um, in Asia which is in, uh, in in Ephesus when he's there he's there longer than he's probably any place else in three years he stays in Asia and he writes this letter so let's just look at a couple things real quickly we can see a few things look if you would please at 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 15 are you with me if you're with me would you say amen let's read it together and then we'll just make a make a quick prayer and then go right on to the lesson are you ready and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Can we read it one more time together? You ready? And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Now, Heavenly Father, I pray you please bless the Bible study this evening. I pray that you would please be honored in the Word of God that goes forth. May you please help us, obviously, to cover a whole book and... 25 minutes is not reasonable, but I pray that we'll catch something that will be uh, advantageous and helpful to us, we pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you that though this was written almost 2,000 years ago, it's very applicable in 2020. And I praise you for that. I pray you give wisdom and the Holy Spirit, please help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you would please, you can see that Apostle Paul is a big spender. He said, the more I spend, the less I get back. The more I love you, the less I be loved. But he says, I'm willing to be spent and spent for you. You see the passion. I think if you look at the Apostle Paul, his gift was exhortation. Until Christ be formed in you. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy that, that you get away from the simplicity that is in Christ. He talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2. He is challenged. You can see he's got that passion that he wants them to get it. He wants them to live for Christ. He wants them to make it. And he definitely says, I'm willing to spend. I'll be a big spender. I'll give and expect nothing back from you. I'll love and expect you not to love me back. I'll deal with it that Christ may be formed in you. It's a beautiful, beautiful testimony. I think that's probably the key verse of 2 Corinthians. Let's look real quick at chapter 1, if you would, please. And let me just give you what I believe to be just a simple outline. These are my own words, but I just, I feel like they can probably kind of help you uh, find the verses and find the, uh, the truths there. He opens up with the, the challenge of comfort and prayer. Chapter 1. You're very familiar with this. Read verse 3 with me, would you please? Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of? Yeah, He's got a corner on the market. God's got a monopoly on mercy. He's the God of all mercy. What does He do? Verse 4, He comforteth us in all of our difficulties or tribulations, that uh, we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we comfort ourselves in our comfort of God. Just a beautiful passage of Scripture. And it tells us that it opens up, and obviously these people, He comes and He gives them a scathing letter in 1 Corinthians, and now He gives them a more comforting letter. And He tells them, listen, it's not going to be an easy road. You're going to need the consolation that's in Christ. And he tells them there's three agents of comfort. Number one, God himself who delivered the people from the dead and raised them back to life. God's a great comforter. Number two, he said, you comfort me by your prayers and by your gifts, your giving. 
By the way, how many get encouraged by cash? Anybody get encouraged by cash? Yeah. Uh, but you're praying for someone. Your generosity has been a source of encouragement. And then he says another thing that helps you and comfort you is your own personal testimony, your godliness and your sincerity. So chapter 1 is about comfort and prayer. Chapter 2 is about forgiveness and sincerity. Forgiveness and sincerity. If you would look there, you're going to see that he's going to talk about the fella who had uh, been immoral, that had been uh, warned and dealt with. And they say, now it's time to forgive. You'll see the word forgive several times. You see it in verse 7. You see it in verse number um, uh, 10. In several places. And then also you see that um, the, the word sincerity. Would you read the last verse of chapter 2 with me, everyone? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. By the way, you, you, that's something that every, this world needs from you and me. It needs sincerity. It needs someone who is real. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, Now the end of the commandment, when it's all said and done, it is going to be charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a faith that is unfeigned, a faith that is real. And he says, I, I want to encourage you to be a sincere Christian. Forgiveness and sincerity. Chapter 3. Chapter 3, you'll see dependence upon the Lord, and you'll see spiritfulness. Dependence and spiritfulness. You'll see that he doesn't depend upon his own self. But I love what he says in verse number 2 of chapter 3. Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of how many people? Yeah, he said, you want to... They were saying, would you send letters to the people we're baiting him, I think. We're saying, if Paul's all that, tell him to send us a letter of his credentials. And he said, you know what? Here's my credentials. You are my credentials. You are these epistles known and read of all men. I'm the one who led you to Christ. He'll argue with them later and point out something. He said, look, you've got many teachers, but you've got only one daddy. You've got a lot of people that invest in you. You've got one person that brought you to Jesus, and that was, you, that was him. And he said, look, he said, if you, can, you can answer the critics if you will live and be an open letter. And you'll be the epistles known and read of all men. By the way, every one of us are a letter to an unsaved world. That's why the Bible tells in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see, they can read your book. They can read your life and then ultimately glorify, give others a good opinion of the God that you say that you worship. And that's exactly what he's telling there. He said, listen, you've got people wanting to know my credentials. You, you read the book. You be the letter. Your life should be speaking loudly of what happened when we got saved years ago in that year and a half I was with you and I taught you. That's the way it ought to be. We see dependence upon the Lord. And then we also see spirit fullness. And you can see that in chapter 3. Chapter 4, I've got to hasten. Chapter 4 is witnessing and trials. He's going to talk about getting the gospel out. And he says in verse number 2, we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty and walking with craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. But by the manifestation of the truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them which are lost. And by the way, you and I, uh, we battle with this. When you're witnessing to people, the God of this world hath blinded their minds. Of them which believe not, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should be an image of it, should shine unto them. And of course, we preach on ourselves with Christ Jesus. Let me just say to you real quickly, remind you, when witnessing, don't be deceitful. Don't try to be crafty. 
Don't try to win the soul. Let the Spirit of God do that. I've been soul winning with many people, and, and unfortunately, sometimes I've been guilty of this. I just want, I want them to get saved so bad, I want them to pray right now. And sometimes I've been thinking in the back of my head, oh, I want to be able to tell the soul winning group I got to lead them to the Lord. Have you ever had dumb thoughts like that? I think all of us have done that sometimes. But you don't want to handle the God's words deceitfully. You want to just give it to them straight. You keep showing them the Bible. The gospel does the work. The most powerful thing on the planet is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. The longer I live, the more confident I am in the gospel of Jesus and the word of God. It will do the work. I had a man talk to me this week. He said, Pastor, my, my mother's an atheist. And I, I want to know how I can talk to her. How can I share with her? And um, he has a loved one getting baptized this Sunday. I said, well, you can invite them. And even through an atheist, they can come watch a baptism. But would I want them just to come watch the baptism? Actually, no. I want them to come hear the word of God. Sunday morning, I preached seven uh, three principles about prayer. Seven people get saved at the end. Not because I preached the whole, the Word of God did a heart, did a heart work. But I want them to hear God's Word. But I told them, I, my brother, I said, listen, what you might want to do is ask your mom, sometimes, mom, I know you're an atheist, but would you just let me show you what the Bible says? Would you give me 30 minutes just to kind of walk you through do you know what the gospel? I've done this with Muslims. I've done this with Hindus. I've done it with Jewish people. I've done it with agnostics and atheists. I said, listen, I understand where you're from, but then you won't be afraid if I just show you. Does anyone ever show you what, what, uh, what a true Christian believes? Can I just show you what the gospel says? And many times they've been amazed. They'll say, yeah. Or they'll say, later. Yeah, we can do that. Not right now, but later. I said, it's okay. I just keep asking them, when's later? <laughs> Remember one time sharing the gospel with a guy? His name was Owen Lee. And I'll never forget, he walked into my office. I, I called him, and I, I'd, I'd known him for three years. He was educated up in Oregon. And he had done his, his graduate work on biblical studies. And he was, he was at least an agnostic, possibly an atheist. And he walked in. I, I said, listen, Owen, we've known each other three years. I've asked you many times. Would you give me a chance? What are you doing tomorrow? He said, all right, I'll do it. He walked in to, to the place I asked him to meet. He said, I'm going to tell you four things, John. Number one. It's 10 o'clock and I'm leaving at 11. Okay, so number two, I'm an agnostic. I'm not even sure there is a God and I may even be bordering an atheist. I said, okay. He said, I did my graduate degree at some Oregon University in biblical studies and the canonization of the Bible. So it's going to be a lot longer than a one hour. Because I can argue with the best of you on how you got your Bible. I said, okay. He said, number four... John, I probably respect you as much as I respect any human being on the planet. He goes, I don't agree with you. I, I came to know you because I keep bringing this, this, this drunk person or this person struggling with addiction to argue and they, they want to go to church on Sunday, so I drop them off and I listen to you and I tolerate what you say. But I do believe you believe what you say. And if I want to hear from anybody, I want to hear from you. I said, okay. I said, you know what? I'm not going to talk about the gun. I'm just going to shoot it. He said, what? I said, I'm not going to argue about the Bible. I'm just going to read it to you. Would that be all right? We'll just read it and make the sense. I said, okay. I could not believe it, but 48 minutes later, I said, I said, you know what? That's all I wanted to share with you, Owen. He said, well, well don't end. What do I need to do? 
I said, what do you mean you need to do? He goes, I need to do that, man. I need to, I need to believe and receive Jesus. That's what I need to do. I said, are you kidding me, Owen? He said, no, I need to. I said, okay, well, let's do this. Do you believe? And I went through each of the gospel messages. He goes, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. I said, okay, well, why don't we just get saved right here? You want to do that? He goes, yeah, I do. And we knelt down right there, and he got saved. And I just I was amazed by that. And then he got up, and I said, well, and now it's about, it's, it's about 10.53. We got seven minutes to spare. What do you want to talk about? And he goes, John, I can't believe. If you would have told me, I would have been asking a God I didn't know that existed. 48 minutes ago, I, I would have just thought I'd laughed you out of your office. It's just it's crazy. But faith cometh by hearing. And the gospel is powerful. Share it. Ask for the opportunity. Share it. If you got someone in a hard head at work, don't just ask them to share it. Then let, let the work of God do its work. It will do. You don't have to be crafty. You don't have to be deceitful. You don't have to be uh, going at an angle. You, you, there's wisdom in, in dealing with everybody. But really, just ask for the opportunity to get the word of God to them. You'll be amazed at that. Let's look at the next one real quickly. Trials is the other part. And of course, you, you're not, if you're going through a difficult time, you ought to start reading in verse number 8 and read to verse 18 and probably read it about 10 times. And, and ask the Lord, teach me what you're trying to tell me in this problem. Because here's where Paul says, man, I, I, was, uh, I was over the top. I was really stressed out, and here's what I did. And see what he did in, in trials, chapter 4. Chapter 5, eternality, eternality, and motives. He starts talking about how that uh, this is where you find the verse to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. This is also where you also will find motives for why we do what we do. Why do we give the gospel out? To be accepted of the Lord, because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, because we know there's a hell, and because we, because of others that need us to be witnesses, and because of the love of God that constrains us. You'll see that in verse number 14. Okay, let's look at the next one, if you would please, and that is chapter 6. Chapter 6 majors on grace and separation. Separation is a biblical principle that I feel like it is. It is, uh, it's grievous. It's, it's one of those, in my opinion, where the Bible tells us in Second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he said, The Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times, latter days, some will depart from the faith. How, why will they do that? Number one, they'll be giving heed to seducing spirits, seduction to compromise, to have Christianity on your terms, to live worldly, but also have Christ. And first generations can do okay. The next generation will struggle in that area, in my opinion. But they give heed to seducting spirits. Number two, doctrines of devils. It is, it is truth mixed with error. It is not, it's not devil, people running on devil suits stabbing each other with pitchforks. It's something that looks good, sounds good, but it's got some deadly poison in it. And then they'll start speaking lies and hypocrisy. They'll say, you know, I'm just free. I've never felt such grace. I just have such a wonderful, wonderful, me and Christ are like this. But their lives are extremely worldly. Their conversation, their communication, their lifestyles, it's a lie. They say, I, I'm free. I, I have much, I feel more close to Christ. But it's, it's, it's a lie and hypocrisy in my opinion. All of a sudden, they're in authority and everybody else is drinking their bath water. And then the last thing, a conscience is seared with a hot iron. And that's whenever people are no longer sensitive. They laugh at invitations. They, 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 they'll say stuff like, that doesn't, that doesn't, I'm not convicted about that. 
Well, it used to bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. I'm, I'm over that. I'm, I'm more grown up now. I'm, I'm more mature as a Christian. Those kind of things don't bother me. And then all of a sudden, we've just gotten used to the dark. And, and, they're, and their conscience is seared. Now their conscience. And by the way, your conscience is your job to protect. Keep it away from a hot iron. Don't, don't numb those sensitive nerves. And it's a progression that goes through. And I've seen it grievously. And I feel like it's, it's in our world today. And people that are going to heaven, they're going to enjoy heaven. And many of them uh, still serve the Lord. They have pure hearts. I don't say they're not, they're not, they're not uh, have a heart for the Lord. But I think oftentimes they have no more sensitivity to worldliness and to conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's grievous to me. And I believe he took, speaks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Chapter 7 is about resolve and repentance. Would you read the first verses of chapter um, 7 with me? Verse number 1 of chapter 7. Are you ready? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Okay, now there's two things that are filthy there. What are the two things that are filthy? Flesh and the? Okay, there's some people, you're morally clean, but you've got an attitude issue. Your spirit stinks. You wouldn't dare put on this or do that or listen to that, but you're also, you're, you're a critical. You're cutting with your words, your attitude. When you walk in, people want to walk out. You've heard about the, you know, guy that, you know, we, some people, you, when you're glad when they walk in the room, some you're glad when they walk out. And sins of the spirit are very serious. And they need to be dealt with. We need to look up and say, am I, am I, am I, he said, if we have all these promises and the promises of acceptance, he says, look, if, if we can come out from among them, be you separate and touch not the unclean thing, don't live, don't live worldly, then I will receive you, be a father unto you. It doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven. It just means that you'll have that right fellowship with the father. If you have that promise then, because of that, cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the body, of the flesh, and of the spirit. And then begin to grow in, and perfect ourselves in holiness. That's the challenge there. Resolve and then repentance. You'll see about godly sorrow, work with repentance at the end of that. Well, the, uh, the, the two, the, the chapters 8 and 9 are Christian giving. So Christian living, Rome number 1, Christian giving, Rome number 2. And then Christian battling. And of course, if you've ever been to a missions conference around here, we didn't have one this year, but I'm sure that Brother Mark Bushy could walk you all through these two chapters of God's Word. And they're wonderful. They teach the, the, the faith promise principle. They teach about giving beyond yourself and above your. He uses the illustration of the Macedonians. He uses the illustration of the man, Titus, who started the work of God in them. He uses the model of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor that we could be right uh, rich in him and then of course he gives the method everyone giving out of the abundance of their heart is God purpose in their heart give and then when you give he tells us in chapter 9 don't give grudgingly but our necessity for God love the cheerful giver and just these are two classic chapters in the Bible on Christian giving and I would encourage all of you to be spend some time there you'll be glad you did and then chapters number um, 
I put 12 and 13, and that's not correct. It's 10 through 13. I think it's just kind of a challenge of battling that he has to battle with uh, those who, who think him to be less than uh, who he is. And then that's where you see the classic chapter, verse 11, where he talks about his difficulties that he went through, the beatings, the shipwreck, the, the, uh, the left for dead, the stonings, the beaten by rods, beaten by whips, beaten by the Jews, going through, you know, hungering and thirsting and nakedness and peril. And then on all this, the care of the churches. You know, I just, uh, a pastor can maybe understand that a little bit. Because, and, and I'm not looking for any sympathy, I'm just telling you, one of the things that's challenging whenever you're working uh, with all these things, you also have the care of the people. And when someone dies, call pastor. When someone, uh, when someone wants to get married, call pastor. When someone has a marriage problem, call pastor. When someone can't pay their rent, call pastor. <laughs> these are things that, that, are, that are, they are realities. They're good. But he says, you know what? I get all these, these people I've led to Christ, the churches, and they need my help. They're writing him. They're asking him. They're sending representatives. Tell us what to do about this. Tell us what to do about this. And there was a care that was on him that was very heavy. In addition to that, you find that classic information there. But he ends it out with saying, listen, I love you guys. I am ready to spend and be spent. I'm a big spender when it comes to love. The more I love, the less I be loved, but that's okay. I know who you're listening to. I know what they said about me. But listen, I love you. I don't care why. And of course, he shares with them and wraps up the, the book. It's a wonderful book of the Bible. Let's look real quick at a couple lessons to ponder. Number one, the Christian life is mixed with privilege and pain. Because of time, we cannot go to that passage of Scripture. But privilege and pain, good times and bad times, uh, you'll see that. I hope you'll look those up later on. Number two, giving is a rewarded grace. Would you look at chapter 9 real quickly? Chapter 9, let's look at those two verse, those three verses. I referenced that a while ago, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, 7, and 8. This I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God puts his love on, in, and through a cheerful God loves everybody. If you're stingy, you don't give, God loves you. But you'll find a giving Christian, God has his love on them. In them and through them. They touch people's lives. And that's where you want to be. You want to feel, you want to have love all over you. Not just know your love, but you have the love on, in, and through you, the, the Christian giver. Then verse number 8, read it with me, would you please? And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Basically, you learn to give, God gives through you. And then verse number 3, back to our, our lesson there. There is a simplicity in loving and knowing Jesus Christ. Let's look at, the, let's look at this verse and we'll conclude tonight. Verse number 2, the Bible says this, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, and that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Because I don't want you to be sleeping around. I don't want you to, I want you to be pure all the way till you meet your eternal groom. I want you to live holy. For I fear, I'm nervous, lest by any means is the serpent beguiled E through his subtility or his um, his underhanded ways, his deceit. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ, the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people say, it's just so hard to walk with Jesus. You know what? What's really hard is sin. <laughs> 
The way of the transgressor is hard. That's the hard thing. 